That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Okay, hello everyone. It's Dr. David Miller here with Dr. Cara Dionisio and Dr. Sylvia Martin. We're here for another uh, episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. We're super pumped today to have Dr. Sylvie on. I think you're really going to love what she talks about uh, with regards to more mindful eating and uh, a whole bunch of different ways of looking at a topic that seems to be overdone, but Sylvie's got a good handle on it. So super pumped to have her on and I'll let Kara sort of take it away with a little bit more of an intro for Dr. Sylvie. Sure. Thanks, Dave. So uh, we're super excited to have you on today, Sylvie. Welcome uh, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So uh, Sylvie, um, I'll call, I'll say that Sylvie has a double N. So <laughs> she's both a naturopathic doctor, but her roots actually started as a nurse, which I think is really cool. So uh, Sylvie was an acute care uh, nurse in psychiatry at St. Michael's Hospital. And uh, then she uh, transitioned into um, adding an ND uh, to those letters on top of it. And what we really love about Sylvie is that she really has um, kind of a foot in both worlds. And uh, she has kind of a unique brain or of one of the handful of people who are both nurses and naturopathic doctors, which really creates a really cool perspective. And we love that she just blends those two and is very passionate about it. So Sylvie, uh, thanks for joining us. And we'd actually love to hear that story of just um, how you uh, how you added the ND and how you're kind of combining nursing yeah. naturopathic medicine. Yeah, well, I actually started when I was, I think I was about 16. I knew I wanted to be a naturopathic doctor. Um, and at that time, at 16, you just see barriers like, oh, I have to go to university, look at the tuition, like so many years in my life. Um, and ironically, I did it all anyways. Um, but uh, I started off by studying aromatherapy, actually, and how scent impacts mood and scent can impact various uh, aspects of our life, such as memory, for example, or emotions, uh, and even just in terms of um, stress reduction. And after studying that, I really wanted to just develop more of a, a science base. I wanted to know more about the human body and really dig in a bit more. Uh, so I decided to pursue a nursing degree at Laurentian University. So that was a four-year program. And uh, I had a really lovely PhD psychiatry professor that uh, um just it really clicked for me the mental health aspect of it all um, I, I think you can't look at health at all and ignore mental health it's really all uh, part of the picture so um, after graduating from uh, Laurentian University I went on to St. Mike's Hospital and I was practicing in acute care psychiatry there so um, completed uh, a nursing fellowship there um, in psychiatry and um, focused a lot of um, my care to uh, acute psychiatric concerns so 
with schizophrenia, bipolar affective disorder, um, people who might have been actively suicidal. Um, I always had my eye on going to the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. So I never put that down. It was always just a matter of when, <laughs> when would that happen? Um, right. And so that eventually did happen. I think I started that program in trying to remember now. I know I graduated in 2009. So, um, and I, I, I did the kind of fast track version where my first year was kind of all crammed into one. So, um, so when I graduated, I, I was still nursing at the hospital while I was learning at CCNM. And, and I really love that aspect, like to be able to incorporate both worlds. Like it wasn't uncommon for our psychiatrists or the pharmacist to be asking me about drug herb interactions or nutrient interactions. Uh, I was able to even pick up, we had a patient coming in with uh, liver damage and it turned out they, they were taking supplements on their own and there was just too much vitamin A coming in that they were actually damaging their liver as a result. So that was something I was able to help the team identify and take that out of the picture. So, um, so it's just, uh, I, I think both worlds mix well together. I, I still practice as a nurse elsewhere. Um, I do maintain my practices. They're quite separate. So I don't, I don't see patients in my capacity as a nurse at the clinic where I work at. It, it is uh, pretty separate. I don't see any patients that I used to nurse. Um, I'll, I'll refer them to other naturopathic doctors. I just like to keep things in their own little uh, neat and tidy boxes and segregated and, and keep those boundaries professional. So, If only Canadian healthcare could just like patent your brain and just like expand it to like our healthcare strategy, right? Of just having both perspectives um, and just mingling and then incorporating them where kind of valuing the benefits of one over the other. Um, yeah. Let's find a way to do that. Yeah, well, I think it's important we look at the evidence that we have in healthcare and good good care is good care, right? Like if there's evidence of something, whether it's diet, whether it's a nutritional supplement, whether it's getting enough sleep, uh, where medication might be helpful. Like there's a lot of different things that uh, fit the picture well. And I don't think we should be looking at anything as, as good or bad necessarily. It's really what's best for the patient at the end of the day and what will help them reach their goals in the way that suits their lifestyle. So, yeah, it's so good to hear because that's, that's a big thing that me and Kara are big proponents of is that, you know, well, as naturopaths, we, we just want the best for people and it's a bit of an evolution of medicine. It doesn't mean we're throwing out anything else. Uh, you know, when we move on to something like uh, naturopathic medicine, it's like, I, that's why I love the idea of talking to you because you didn't, you know, just, you didn't just stop being a nurse and, and, you know, put all of your, uh, you know, energy into being a naturopath. Uh, you're still a nurse. And I just think that's so good for people to understand that, you know, on this show and what we're trying to teach people is that uh, naturopathic medicine is just another, it's just another piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's why I'm so pumped uh, to see how, like Sarah, like uh, Kara said, I just want to see how your brain works with, uh, with marrying the two different, you know, seemingly at odds kinds of medicine. They aren't really. Yeah. And and I see them as they, they kind of do go together. Like I've seen so many, you know, my practice, I focus um, mostly on treating mental emotional concerns uh, in my naturopathic practice. And of course, that comes along with we see digestive concerns with that, like you don't, you never just see stress and anxiety, there's always other mm -hmm. things going on. Right. Um, but it's not uncommon. Like if I have a patient who's comes in to see me and they're in a major de depressive episode, I'm the first one to talk to them about, we need to get a psychiatrist on board, you're going to need a medication. And in the meantime, we're going to work on some other things and help to get you out of this. But it's not 
at that point, food might not be the only factor, right? Naturopathic medicine is not the only factor. It's about helping prevent harm and helping this person to feel better, ideally, in the fastest way that we can get them stabilized. So um, oftentimes people will come and see me and they're trying to, you know, avoid a medication where I look at it. Well, is it realistic? Are they able to? Do they even have the energy and the the mood capacity to be able to manage uh, a comprehensive naturopathic treatment plan at this stage in their life? And sometimes that answer is no, right? Uh, If you can't, if you're so depressed that you can't get out of bed, are you going to be cooking and eating and worrying about your iron intake and getting all your protein in and on top of trying to manage different supplements if they're indicated? That might not be the first thing that is most important for that person. So it's really about supporting people and and their lifestyle and where they're at and helping to make sure the plan is sustainable for them longer term. So. Yeah, what are, some, sure. what are some of the key uh, things you're looking for? Like, say, you know, let's just do a bit of a mind experiment here where you're allowed to put on your nurse hat or your naturopathic doctor hat uh, in the same appointment, which I know is impossible, but let's just, just work with me here. <laughs> if, if someone comes in, uh, what are the things that are leaning you towards thinking, oh, my goodness, they need more of a sort of conventional medical approach where they may need uh, the, the support of, you know, pharmacotherapy or other, you know, a psychiatrist versus someone who's just on the, the cusp of, of where they just, they need to make a few habit changes or they need to make a few uh, encouraged movements towards general health maintenance and then they'll, their mood and everything will be better. Is there, is there a couple of like red or orange flags that you are sort of looking for there? Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't think this necessarily comes down to nursing versus naturopath. I think as naturopaths, we all have that ability and we have the clinical training to be able to mm-hmm. look at a patient and know like, are, are they actively suicidal? Is there, are there, where are the risk factors? Are they able to really appreciate how their mental status is impacting their overall health? Are they capable to make uh, decisions about their treatment? Um, Do they have that insight? So if, you know, if somebody is psychotic, then they might, it might not be appropriate for them at that time to be pursuing naturopathic care if there's active psychosis. And, you know, they think like bugs are living in their body. And we're not talking like, you know, they have an infection. We're talking, they, they think like there's something eating them from the inside out. And there, th- that might be a time where it, it, it's, it's not only a clinical judgment for the naturopath, but it's also standard of practice that they'd have to refer out if it's outside of our level of expertise. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really see that as, you know, nursing brain or naturopathic brain. I, you know, my clinical knowledge all comes together and y- you don't, you know, you don't really turn it off if you have training. Like we used to uh, deal with people who were acutely suicidal all the time at the hospital and and sadly but I will never let somebody come in to see me you could just be coming in for a skin concern I'm going to ask like have you ever had a a thought of hurting yourself has this ever come up in the past I'm not going to dig there for half an hour if you're just coming in for a skin concern but it's a disservice to not ask the question because I've seen so many people in the hospital that ended up trying to jump in front of the subway or hang themselves or hurt hurt themselves and nobody had ever asked them or they hadn't seen their family doctor or hadn't talked to their family doctor about Mm -hmm. it. So I just think there, there are things that we can all do as healthcare providers, no matter what our clinical training is, is really looking at the safety of the person and are they suffering? And if they're suffering, how can we alleviate that and help them out of that? Um, And are they able to, you know, do they have the energy and the capacity and the um, 
just ability with all that they're dealing with. If they're in an acute crisis, that's not the time to say, hey, we need to change your diet around. Like we need to manage the crisis first. Um, So that's kind of an approach that I take when I'm in practice is looking at flags like that. For sure. And that that really highlights too, I guess, as health professionals, but naturopathic medicine, um, I think we should get, you know, kind of a gold star for it really being holistic care. So we are really looking at all of those factors of our patients as a whole. Mm -hmm. And mental health is always part of that. So let's transition a little bit here. So um, one of your specialties or extra training and really passions in clinic as a naturopath is, is for mindfulness and, uh, and more recently, or, um, or, or maybe not, you can correct me on that one, um, uh, uh, strategies towards mindfulness-based eating. So uh, take us on that journey. How did you get there and what is that all about? So when it comes to mindfulness training, um, it's something that, you know, as a nurse at the hospital, we used to use um, techniques to help our patients um, look at the emotions and the thoughts that can lead to emotional reactions and types of behavioral reactions. So uh, it's something that I've been interested in when you apply it to food. Um, But I'd taken some additional courses through the Center of Mindfulness Studies in Toronto, um, focused on mindfulness. And then I that led me to eventually take a course through University of Toronto uh, on mindful eating. And that was just a weekend course, but it really, again, resonated with mm-hmm. um, what I'm doing in practice with women who want to lose weight that might not necessarily have a healthy relationship with their food, or they might be, you know, um, kind of overeating at certain meals or eating because of stress or emotions. Um, and I learned about a program in the U.S. Um, called MBE. So mindfulness-based eating awareness training. And this was developed by Dr. Jean Christeller. Uh, She is a PhD um, psychologist who did a lot of work with uh, John Kabat-Zinn at the University of Massachusetts. So John Kabat-Zinn basically pioneered bringing mindfulness to North America mm-hmm. um, it, when it comes to applying it clinically and doing research. So Dr. Christeller was also doing a lot of research in using MB Eats and variations of MB Eats with uh, certain groups of patients. Um, so I really resonated with that and I wanted to go to kind of the source <laughs> for mindful eating and somebody yeah. who had a clinical background and I just love that her background is mental health related. So I, I really felt strongly that this was something I needed to do. So um, I ended up taking that training in the U S and since I've done that, um, it's been something that has been really helpful for my practice. So when I'm working with women, um, I'm using a lot of those techniques in helping them to change their relationship with food and improve how they're doing with their meals. And it's not about, you know, I don't like to just look at food or weight loss or body image when it comes to just, okay, calories in, calories out. Do you, you know, it's, I, I think it's uh, too simplistic an approach. Um, we know from research, a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie. Like if you eat, yes. Um, even a slice of white bread versus a slice of a whole grain um, or multi-grain bread, uh, you're going to uh, use that differently in the body. And it's going to, one will be a bit more sustainable in terms of giving you more energy. Um, So looking at mindful eating, um, I I do like to bring in a clinical nutrition aspect to it. And as naturopathic doctors, one thing I love is our clinical nutrition training. I I really think uh, we had the benefit of having really strong instructors in the field and 
And uh, thanks to them, it's something that I use in my practice quite a bit. For sure. Um, maybe I would love for you to frame um, the problem of um, the problem and how mindfulness-based eating can be a solution. Um, mm -hmm. I'd like, I want to get, especially for our listeners, um, you know, from their perspective, but I'd love you to highlight, cause as you know, there's probably naturopaths listening and for, um, for their benefit, um, or just from this perspective, how, where do naturopaths need this, right? Because mm -hmm. we're telling our patients, here's your ideal, you know, this, this is how ideally where we're going to get with your diet. Mm -hmm. um, but this could be a major, you know, issues or attitudes of relationships with food is a major block. Yeah. Yeah. And it really, you know, it does take, that's where I feel it does take additional training. It's not something you don't leave school with the knowledge of how to help somebody change their relationship. We have, we have basic steps we learn in school and I think it's important to use those, but um, you know, if I, I see women coming in to see me and they're, they're binge eating every afternoon or when they get home from work and they're prepping meals for their kids and they're going through a bag of chips on their own, I want to know why it's not just about, you don't just tell somebody don't eat the chips, like what's behind it. What's the root cause. And, and, and NDs have a really good way of trying to get to that root cause. It's kind of um, one of the main focuses of our treatment is find out well, what can we do? What's the problem? How can we change that problem? Um, a common thing that I do with new patients is I really like them to track uh, a food diary and I like to help talk about the diary with them afterwards and, and look at, you know, it's, it's so common for women to come in to see me and it's like, oh, well, I had a cookie on Tuesday. I know I was bad or this was a really bad week. And, oh, I, I you know, when you see a lot of guilt being portrayed and the first thing I want to do is find out what what's behind the guilt. Like, where is that guilt around food coming from? A cookie? Who cares? It's a cookie. Like, we should actually enjoy a cookie. Um, what happens that, you know, they were led to eat the whole box, then that might be a problem. But if somebody's having two or three cookies and they're feeling guilty about that, um, we also have this stigma as naturopaths that people think we're going to just put them on this diet of like quinoa and kale for some reason, yeah. you know, like uh, that we're going to restrict the diet. And I, I really think uh, as a profession, we need to be really careful in how we make uh, dietary recommendations and stress to people like if we're doing something for specific health concerns it's not about never having those foods they love as soon as we take something away somebody loves uh, we can actually create harm so it's really important you know if somebody's eating pizza every single day well maybe we need to explore that but it doesn't mean they can never have pizza again um, so it's just finding that balance for that person um, and I would see and hear a lot of guilt uh, coming in with women eating and I, I wanted to find out why and what's happening and I, I dig into that with people like if you're feeling guilty about what you're eating, we need to look at where that's coming from. Is it because, you know, your mom told you you were fat growing up and told you you can't have cookies or you weren't allowed cookies in the house? And now when you have them in the house, you have no control. Um, and it's getting to the bottom of that and, and sorting that out and figuring out, you know, where does that lie? What can we do about it? Because I'm not about to tell that person never buy cookies again. Um, but we need to have it you know, have it set up where having cookies, it is a, a special thing that you really enjoy and focus on and take that maximum enjoyment instead of just throwing a few in your mouth, swallowing them and, and not actually enjoying that food at the end of the day. Because I, I think what a lot of people end up getting into is um, they'll have these foods that they think of as a treat or a snack or, a, you know, an indulgence. And they don't 
they're not actually really truly enjoying it and sitting and kind of feasting on it. They're, they're really just eating it to kind of nourish themselves somehow emotionally and not paying attention to why. Um, I did some traveling in Europe a couple of years ago with my boyfriend. And when we were there, uh, we were in France and e even in Italy. And you see the difference in how people are eating. Like in France, there, there's no guilt. You can have like a lovely pastry with a really rich hazelnut chocolate filling. And, you know, you don't feel guilty about it, but you sit down and you eat that properly and you thoroughly enjoy it. And it is a treat. It's a luxury. Um, so it's not just something we're doing in passing as we're driving <laughs> somewhere or as we're uh, on our way out the door. So. Yeah, the cultural uh, implications of this is is huge. And I, I remember a study, I believe it was, they compared um, smoking in North America versus uh, equal amounts of cigarettes or whatever in France. And the, the mortality and morbidity was a lot less in France. And I, I can't recall the study, but it sounds sort of similar. Like there's like, you know, the person who's having a cigarette here is probably shamefully going out the back door and then like spraying perfume or cologne on and like brushing their teeth four times after and you know they've had the same mm -hmm. uh you know number of cigarettes as the person in france who's just like eh, i had a cigarette whatever and i'm not you know yeah. i'm not saying we should We're all not, smoke here yeah. but you, you get the <laughs> idea for fire, yeah. dr dave yeah. yeah no i hear you but it's it's even looking at a chocolate bar like a chocolate bar in europe they they're you you don't see the convenience stores the same as we have them here. You can't go to really any store in North America without having a row of chocolates to pass by. Now they're king size or double size or you get two bars for the price of one. Um, where in Europe, you might go in and buy yourself a truffle or two and you're going to thoroughly enjoy that truffle because it is, it's a special thing. It's presented in a different way. Um, so I just think that we, we do have different cultures and, you know, if I had my way, we'd, we'd kind of enhance that in North America and how we're presenting food because uh, it really is presented kind of as a fast commodity here. Um, but then we have some really great restaurants at the same time that do a good job of displaying foods, right? So. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking of a book that I've recently been reading called Willpower Doesn't Work. Um, I don't know if you know about it, but it's, um, it's basically about creating your environment for success. Mm -hmm. Because if there's, it's sort of like, you know, we, we know as, as naturopaths, we often say, if you don't want to, you know, eat it, then don't buy it. Like if it's not, a, if it's not in your house, it's one more step at least to getting it. So there's often, you know, there's some wisdom in doing that. Now, this is maybe not totally in line with what you're saying before, but, um, you know, I just like to discuss it as a possibility of like, see your view on it because, Willpower doesn't work has made me really understand that if I want to succeed in whatever my goals are, like, for example, in this clinic room, if I lined the walls with Oreos, I guarantee some of them would get, would get eaten. Like, yeah. if they're there, I'll eat them. So, I mean, what's, what's, your, uh, what's your sort of response or what's your sort of uh, insight into that idea of creating an environment for success? I think um, it's really key. Um, we're looking at the behavior and the environment um, it does all feed into how we're eating and our relationship with food. Um, it's the same thing as if, you know, you ate dinner in front of the TV every night. Well, you're not going to be mindful of actually how much you're eating. You're just going to eat until it's gone. And at the end of the meal, you're probably going to be left either not thinking about it at all or if we did ask you, you know, did you enjoy the meal? Well, I didn't even realize. I just 
ate it to feel my body. Yeah, no, but it's, it's so true. Like that's what's happening. Um, I, I've got some women that I work with and, um, it's about, you know, having chocolate (laughs) and it's about when you do have the chocolate, set it aside, like sit down and have that chocolate. Like don't just eat it in front of your computer, in front of your phone or electronic devices, or as you're watching TV, like you really have to structure that time out to enjoy it, make it count. And oftentimes women are finding that they're eating less and they're feeling even more satisfied and loving it that much more, but they're realizing when they've had enough, they've saturated their mouth with the flavor, for example, um, and they don't need to eat the whole bar. Uh, So that's what's really kind of important about it is having that environment set up something personally for me is if uh, the odd time I'll have a sugar craving and it's like, I want chocolate and I like sugary chocolate. Um, I very rarely buy it. And what I do is I have uh, at at all times, like seriously right now in my purse, I Mm -hmm. always have two options of a really nice dark 80% chocolate that are just lovely. Um, And I very rarely dip into them, but I know anytime I should want some chocolate, I've got it there. And it's, it's one of those things that I don't eat it as much because it's always there. But when I do, I just love this stuff. Um, But it's not about, you know, like, it's about setting yourself up. So what do you need? Like, if, if I have a chocolate craving, and I'm out, I might just go buy some somewhere, and I'm not going to actually thoroughly enjoy what might be available at the time. I don't really like, you know, uh, super sugary chocolate or milk chocolates. I'm a, a, bit, a bit picky with my chocolate. But at the end of the day, if you have the good stuff on you and you know that you're allowed to have it any time, just if you do have it, have it mindfully and enjoy it um, and make it that luxury and that pleasurable activity, then it, it takes away that guilt from it and you give yourself that permission. But you're right, Dave, like when you look at, you know, if you had boxes of Oreos all over the place, yeah, people are going to dig into that. Um, something I do in my practice is um, I have water in the clinic room. I've got options of tea in the clinic room and I even bring snacks. We've got pistachios. We've got some mixed nuts and trail mix. Um, so if people are coming to see me after work and they haven't been home yet, I want them to have a snack while they're with me for an hour. So they're they're not going to go home hangry, but they get to kind of enjoy themselves eating. And sometimes we'll actually do my Mindful eating exercises where they can learn to appreciate that the foods that they're eating and check in with their fullness signals and their hunger signals and their satisfaction signals. But but environment is key because it doesn't matter how hungry we are. If we set the environment up wrong, like if we don't stock protein rich foods at home, for example, we might not be eating them. Uh, Then how is that going to do longer term for nutritional goals? Yeah, maybe I'm going to finagle an appointment with you because one thing I do um, Mm -hmm. is even if there's, um, if it's good food, sometimes I eat too much of it. So mm-hmm. uh, this this week, I actually brought, because uh, I, I often batch cook healthy food, and then I keep it like in the fridge or freezer, because I don't want to cook every day. I just like to have healthy food ready to go. But I, I didn't have all my containers, the normal size. So I actually put my lunch in a small container. And I looked at it, I thought, mm, that's probably not enough. That's not going to do me. No, I'm a 200 pound guy. That's not going to do me. But you know what? I, that's all I had mm-hmm. and I, I warmed it up, but yes, I did use a microwave. I'm not a you know militant anti-microwave and I, I, I ate it and I was actually quite satisfied. So there's, I mean, what about those people like me who maybe, uh, maybe like, I don't know what you do for the chocolate bar, but if you had like a whole chocolate bar, like mm-hmm. I am a type, I'm not going to have that chocolate bar, Sylvie, because if I have the whole chocolate bar, I'll probably hoover the whole damn thing 
yeah. You know, I'm so I obviously I have some work to do. I know. But but I'm just saying, like, is there is there any uh, sense in like, would you portion these things out or because I, I think some of the problem is we get a, a bag of chips is fairly big and often yeah. people will take the whole thing. Or can you maybe talk a little bit about that idea of things? Yeah. And you, you just brought up uh, an example I can think of where I was working with a woman that every time she went out for dinner or met friends on her way home, she'd stop after uh, getting out of the subway and go and buy a big bag of chips and sometimes two big bags of chips and she'd eat them on the way home. And she recognized she had already eaten dinner. She wasn't really hungry, but she wasn't tuned into her hunger signals at that time. So we did some work around that. But it was also just the pattern of that was treat day for her. She went out to see friends. She kind of let loose a little bit. Um, And we talked about different strategies of dealing with that. And one of the things that made a difference is some days she chose to walk a different way home. And I'm not saying, you know ignore your craving and just go for a walk. That's not what it's about. It's not about, no, you can't have chips, eat celery. That's, I, I, I don't believe in that type of approach. Um, but what she was open to doing is getting a small bag of chips instead, like the single portion size. So she went from probably like 3000 calories to about 400 in a, a serving. That's a huge amount of saving on uh, extra energy her body didn't need at that time. And we focused on eating one chip at a time, but not just eating <laughs> quickly, um, letting that chip in, in for her, it was Doritos specifically is letting it kind of sit in the mouth a little bit, taste that flavor, feel the crunch. What is it about them that she likes? Was it the crunch? Was it the flavor? Was it the salt? Was it the combination? Um, was it the MSG? Right? <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they add that in as that flavor punch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just allowing herself to take that full pleasure out of what she was eating. And she started realizing that she was actually satisfied with the smaller bag and she enjoyed it a lot more. Um, so it's it's not about, you know, how, how much you're eating sometimes. Sometimes, you know, if you were out for a run that day and I know you, you're sometimes like 5, 10, 20K. Um, if, you're, if you're running that much, sometimes for you, you want the whole chocolate bar. Like you just, you just ran that off. Your body's looking for the calories at that point. Is It's looking for the sugar to replenish stores. Um, but if you weren't just running and you're just watching a movie and you're having chocolate, um, a big thing to do or a bowl of chips kind of thing um, is separate it out um, and and give yourself a portion that you feel is acceptable, but not just like eat it really quickly, like take your time and actually taste it. Um, I have a thing where when my partner, Dave and I, we go to the movies, I love popcorn. I butter on top, butter in the middle. Like I'm like, (laughs) bring it. But I learned I, I was eating it really quickly when we started dating. I'm like, what's happening? Like I never eat popcorn this fast. He, he kind of shovels it in and I'm like, you're messing up with my enjoyment of this popcorn because I want to actually, I like going kernel by kernel, but if I didn't keep up with him, he'd eat all the butter without me. Right. So this was like (laughs) a big thing. So sometimes I get my own bag, so I don't have to worry about like keeping up with his pace. And we, we do that socially. Sometimes you could be at restaurants with friends and people eat at different patterns, different speeds um, and not feeling the need to keep up or clean our whole plate. It's about serving yourself what you want to be eating, but taking the time to actually feel like what what's the what do you like about the food? Is it the flavor? Is it the texture? Is that creaminess in a mashed potato? Is it the butter? Like really letting yourself linger with that scent, with that flavor and uh, the end feel in your mouth and, and not just like scarfing it down. So. I like to... Um... I like to consciously decide because a lot of my patients will say to me, you must eat so well. I can't like, you, you know, you have all this training and nutrition and, you know, you must eat so good. And I'm like, well, 
if you were a fly on the wall, when I get together with my girlfriends on a Friday night in the middle of the summer, like the chocolate covered Swedish berries <laughs> come out. Yeah. And, uh, but you know what? There, there's times I'm with my girlfriends. I'm like, you know what? This is about the fun and the jokes and the enjoyment. And, you know, they've all picked something they really love and they've brought it. And I just fully embrace, you know, those opportunities. And yeah. then there's other times I'm, you know, maybe I'm getting together with my girlfriends a little more often. And I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm good today. I'm going to have bring my herbal tea and I'm going to just, you know, sit and chat with them. So um, it, sometimes it's consciously deciding in the moment. But also I, I, I like to consciously plan my week or month of, you know, where am I really looking forward to certain foods and enjoyment with the people that I like to hang out with? Yeah. And, and the people make a big difference and, and the setup of meals can make a big difference. Like I remember when I met uh, my boyfriend's family for the first time, they're British. And I remember her saying like, oh, you're my favorite naturopath. She was worried that I wasn't going to want to eat like a traditional British meal. And I'd never had um, Yorkshire pudding before. I was like, this is the best thing in the world. Like, just like, <laughs> yeah. fried things of bread and you pour gravy in it. Like, I amazing. agree. And, yeah. but, but what's really neat is the presentation. Um, it, it, it's we sit and we have a meal and it's like a nice hour at the table and there's good conversation. They heat the plates like she heated. I thought she was joking. She goes, oh, I'm going to heat the plates. I'm like, oh, yeah, haha. She heated the plates. I was like, oh, damn, I'm dining with the queen tonight. Like, this is a this is just an amazing thing to have this meal so well presented and and, you know, even simpler choices of veggies, but just like a little bit of a honey tarragon sauce, like on on carrots and parsnips. I was like, this is dining. This is amazing. Um, so it's just that different, you know, the, the setup and who you're with can make a difference. And it's not about like Yorkshire pudding's not bad. I enjoy them just as much as anybody else. And it and it's about just making sure when you do have them that you thoroughly enjoy the experience of it. And you're not just, you know, eating to catch up with somebody and stuffing them, <laughs> stuffing them down either. I call it heart food. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. So um, we're actually, that's maybe a great question for you. Do you talk to your patients about different types of hunger, hunger and how to spot that? Yeah, so we, the, what I really like to do is explore um, triggers as well as hunger. Um, so we we do have different types and there's an author um, called uh, Jan Chosen Bays. She's a medical doctor. Um, she happens to be a pediatrician, but she does a lot of work with mindful eating. I've got um, one of her books here and it's just called Mindful Eating and she actually coined um, what she refers to as seven types of eating. And um, she talks about eating with our eyes. And that's where that environment comes in. Like, you know, you can have a piece of bread, but if you have a piece of bread and it's on a plate and you've got a candle on the table and you've got that uh, that placing set out or you're in a nice environment, it really changes the enjoyment of that food, um, which is what can happen in Europe a lot of the time. Like things are presented just differently in a really cute, enjoyable way. Um, there's also um, uh, what she calls nose hunger. So when we're getting, think about the aroma of uh, freshly baked pizza, you start to really get those hunger cues uh, when you really think about the smell and um, when we're eating, it, it is helpful to just 
experience your food, smell your food, and what what is it about it? What what's that combination doing for you? And, and get to know how your body reacts to it. Um, even if you do a, a mindful eating exercise with a raisin and you smell the raisin, you'll start to salivate um, once you pick up on that scent. Uh, and it's just recognizing these are all cues we're, we're supposed to uh, be reacting to. Like in nature, if we if we were back living in the cave, right? Um, you'd be out foraging, and if you you smelled something really nice, you're going to go in that direction. It might be a really good food source. Uh, so it is really important to pay attention to that um, type of a cue. Even um, flavors and textures and mouthfeel, that's another type of uh, hunger that we can develop. Uh, it's also a reason why we tend to love really high fat foods. Um, they have a, a really great mouthfeel and they work really well to deliver that flavor. Um, and those scent molecules uh, that, that we end up, uh, that contribute to the meal. Um, another form of hunger is stomach hunger. So that's the fourth type. Um, so paying attention, like, are, are we actually, do we, are we running on an empty stomach? Are we hungry? And something I notice in practice is a lot of people tend to mistake hunger with thirst. Um, it, it is important to tune in to, you know, are we hungry? Are we, are we thirsty? Are we dehydrated? Does our body need fluids? Um, so trying to help people to differentiate between some of those cues is, is what I'll work on with some patients. Um, I've had patients that say, well, I'm never hungry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hungry in the morning. And some people truly aren't hungry in the morning, but for the most part, they're, they're waking up dehydrated and the body is just not in a state to be able to digest. Uh, as you guys know from our biochemistry in school, uh, it takes a lot of water to cleave molecules and digest our food. And if that system's not set up, then we're, those other signals aren't going to be working as well. So. Um, there's also another type of hunger, she calls it physiological hunger, um, where we might be tuned into needing certain minerals. So we know people who are extremely uh, iron deficient might start actually eating dirt, like kids who are, and we're not talking like a little bit low that day, we're talking like anemic kids. They might be more prone to eating dirt or wanting to chew on ice. Um, and we call that pika where it's um, they're, they're actually trying to get the nutrients from the soil that they're not getting from their food. Um, so we can also have other types like that where people might crave chocolate. Um, and, and sometimes craving chocolate is not craving chocolate for magnesium. Uh, it's magnesium content. Sometimes they're actually craving chocolate because they have the sugar and they haven't set out their nutrition properly enough for the day. So I don't I don't believe in like, oh, I need chocolate for magnesium. It's uh, most of the time. Okay. PMS want, patients love when I tell them to eat yeah, chocolate. <laughs> yeah, and, and have some chocolate, but we don't need the extra sugar half the time, right? So um, when it comes to uh, mental hunger, this is another type that this is often tied to anxiety and stress. Um, and sometimes it could just be associated with food. So for me, it's like if I go to the Eaton Center, I want good I have a chocolate. There's just like mentally, that's the link in my head. And and sadly enough, I've kind of lost the flavor now that I've learned to eat more mindfully. It doesn't taste as good. So that's why I keep my the chocolate I love with me because I'm like, I still want the chocolate when I go to the Eaton Center. I just don't want that chocolate because I don't enjoy it as much anymore. Um, so mental hunger, you know, your typical like people will stress eat and, you know, when stress climbs high, that tends to be the time and I'm sure you both see it in your practice where patients aren't taking that time to plan their meals out anymore. It's the first thing to go is self-care when stress climbs. Um, so 
that mentally, is it the stress that where they're going for the food or is it really just, um, you know, they're, they're trying to manage the stress with the food uh, to calm themselves emotionally. Or if we have patients who are living with depression or anxiety, um, sometimes they might binge eat certain foods to try and nourish themselves emotionally. So that's something I like to work on in practice as well. Um, yeah, so essentially, there's a couple different types of hunger and uh, ways to look at it and help people to see what kind of hunger they having. And, and sometimes nutritionally, um, I'm sure you guys see this a lot too, like people get energy dips in the day, and it's really just they're not planning out their need for adequate nutrition. So they might not be eating any protein all day. And their energy is not sustained, or they're getting that dip in the afternoon. And I try and work with them. It's It's not that you know, what you're going to is awful, but you need more food at lunch to sustain you. If you're crashing at two o'clock and you just ate at 1230, we need to change up what you're eating and how you're eating it. Um, at that point, it's not necessarily about stop and eat and chew and savor your food. Sometimes it's just uh, you, you had three cups of rice with some vegetables, but you didn't have enough protein and your white rice was too high glycemic and then they're getting this sugar crash. So a couple different things I like to work on. Well, that's way more than I thought. Like, I used to just talk to my patients about metabolic hunger is not the same as neurological hunger. That's what I said. Like, so often I had, uh, it was often women too. And it was often like around 8 p.m. or something. I found a lot of my awesome uh, female patients, they'd be probably like busy looking after men and kids most mm -hmm. of the day. And then I'm like, you know, you had your dinner. Metabolically, you're, you know, we've got you on, you know, pretty good. Uh, you know, a pretty good diet here, you're probably okay. Like you're not going to die of starvation in two to three hours after dinner. But I feel like they just needed a reward response. Like is what, what do you have to say about that? And how do you handle that with people? Yeah. And you, you really touched on a fine point, especially with um, professional women who are juggling, taking care of the kids and family and work on top of it and, figuring out how to manage a household like hands down a miracle workers really oh, not, yeah. to say, <laughs> not, not to say men aren't but traditionally when you know kids want to eat they typically will go to to mom like mom fix me this or and, and i find yeah that sometimes women are are just they're going to either wine or they're going to foods to kind of feed themselves emotionally and that's where mindfulness and even just stress management skills can go a long way like what's happening at you know where you put the kids to bed and you're just going for you know m&ms or whatever's happening and you just want to sit in front of the tv like what is it that's at that point i start to look at what brings them joy and this is something that um really hit me. I was at a conference one year and Joe Pizzorno, a naturopathic doctor in the US, uh, Dr. Pizzorno was speaking and he was talking about what brings people joy. And as naturopaths, like our role is to help them get back to not just optimal health, but that self-actualization of what, what brings joy in your life and what really fuels you. And when we help people to recognize that, we're you know, I, I've worked with moms, like one in particular, it was just there was like nothing dedicated to her. And she was doing all the laundry for the kids doing all the cooking. And she had like teens at home that could be helping out. And I worked with her over the years of 
you know, helping to let go of some of those things. And, you know, her husband um, had a type of job where he got to stay at home for the day. So it was like, well, maybe one night a week, he's taking care of dinner and your teens at this point, they can work smartphones and they can work a washing machine, right? Like you have to give some of that up and let them take that over and carve out that time for just what are you besides a mom and besides a wife and besides a, a partner and uh, an employee? Um, what is it that makes you feel alive? Because I think that's, you know, and there's a saying, like, find out what makes you feel alive, because that's what the world needs more of. And it, it really is. And this person, it was music, and she got back into music and uh, started teaching a lot. And it's just amazing, because it, it changed her whole relationship with food, but her whole life and her relationship with herself and others. And how she put herself out there in the world. So I think uh, Davy raised a really good point on just the importance of stepping back to look at, you know, what else is happening because that that food is a reward. It, it's real um, and it, it takes time to get to the bottom of it. And that's where a lot of the mental health related work comes in of helping people to figure out what that is. And if women feel that they're in this cycle or anyone, not just women, but if people feel they're in a cycle where food is their only reward, then we need to look at and ask some pretty serious questions about where's that balance in life where mm -hmm. if this is the only time that minute of scarfing food down is that time for you like what's happening are you really happy with what you're doing and and it's not about go quit your job leave your husband and kids behind or anything like that but uh, it's just finding out where that balance is for that person yeah that's why i say number one mom equals mom number one yeah dave i have a question for you yeah. tell me more about um metabolic hunger versus neurological hunger well, it was an over, it's, I mean, it's just uh, oversimplification, uh, probably compared to what you were laying out for me. It's more just like, I wanted people to understand that sometimes it's like a reward response. It's like a mental, it's like a mental, emotional thing where we're just sort of hungry for that reward response. It's not like our, our, um, our body doesn't have the capacity to deal without food for a couple hours. Like, you know, mm -hmm. our, our machinery comes from a time when we were like persistence hunters. We could just run longer than something else. It would fall over and die. And then we would spear it. Like we were tenacious and yeah. we'd go without, we'd go without eating for a period of time. Days, and sometimes, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I try to use that. Like you can't lie with the machinery of the body and, and our, our origins in terms of our, you know, a capacity at some point to have the uh, resilience to deal without eating every, you know, one, two hours, which was a big thing, I think, like 15 or 20 years, like, oh, keep, yeah. keep eating all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, the more, the more I learned about the gut, like the gut needs a break too. Like it doesn't clean out unless you have no food in there for like three, six hours, you know, so. Can I, I get to an amen to that? <laughs> like seriously, yeah. So I tried to uh, um, encourage people to understand why uh, perhaps some of their hunger was more I just said neurological because mm -hmm. yeah. some of it may be like uh, like a, a dysglycemia um, and you know that do, that does guide a lot of our our treatment too but then it brings in all the things you're talking about like emotions it brings in stress cortisol like you go on and on uh, yeah. it's all there in, in terms of neurological hunger the way I called it that was a loose term yeah no no but I like it because it, it kind of encompasses it and it breaks it down a lot easier too so 
Cause it's, yeah. I don't, I, I don't bust out the mindful eating in one visit. Like that's a whole, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's the actual programs meant to be delivered over 10 to 12 weeks. So it, you can imagine um, it, it takes some time and it, depending on where the person's at, some of my patients, I've known them for a while so we can dig in right to step six and kind of work on a couple aspects. So uh, they don't always need a formal long process, but yeah, I like that simplification of it. It can be helpful. Sylvie, do you have any suggestions for that woman who's just put her kids to bed, it's been a long day, and is just having that craving for, um, you know, for the Um, Mm M&Ms? I remember reading, I I believe there's a program called Creating Change, and they they have some techniques in there, and I'm sure maybe you're familiar with that program, of, you know, of distraction or, like, creating endorphins in other ways of, like, you know, dancing or exercise or finding something else, or maybe back to your point of, you know, finding what makes you happy and joy in other ways. But what are your, what are your words for that woman who's literally standing at the kitchen counter, pretty exhausted and reaching for the M&Ms? Yeah. And that's a good, you know, the, the first thing I would ask her um, is, is I always want to know more is when is the last time she ate? So prime, prime thing, this just happened to me on Tuesday. I took a course. Um, I was at a, a camp tech taking a, just a, random course. So, and we get out of the course and this woman approached me, she said, we got to having a conversation and then we talked about um, mindful eating and it came up and she said, help me not buy a bag of chips on my way home. And she, she actually asked me, I need you to help me not buy a bag of chips. I said, well, let's, that depends. Let's talk about this. Like when's the last time you ate? And it was at like five o'clock and we're at nine 30 now. I said, okay, maybe there's other options. You can look at buying some cashews or some peanuts or some almonds. And, and she actually had almonds in her purse already. And she just, she was craving the chips. And I'm the same. If I get out of the clinic at 9, 9.30 at night, I would eat chips if they're in front of me. I have to make sure I keep pistachios in the office. I make sure I snack between patients. Um, so I have to nourish myself physically first. And if women aren't nourished physically, I think that's the first thing uh, that they need to be asking themselves and work with their naturopaths on. If you're you're crashing at a certain time of day, and yes, like a, a mom with two young kids, that is just an amazing amount of energy that goes out, especially if they've already spent the day at work and coming home and they're cooking for other people. And that that only time for their self-care is, is when they're already exhausted. Um, but first asking, is the nutrition adequate? Do they actually need a snack? Um, and if they really want that treat, is portioning out a reasonable portion um, based on nutritional wisdom. So it might they might not need 400 calories of it. They might be happy with 150 calories of a smaller portion and just taking their time with it but also exploring what is it that will recharge them at that point um do they need just a hot bath with lights out for a little bit of a couple minutes to themselves um that that just gives them that downtime or even if it's like literally two minutes of a breathing exercise where they're just focusing on connecting with their breath and inhaling and expanding their abdomen and helping the what we call the parasympathetic nervous system uh our relaxation nervous system to help kind of kick in to get those stress hormones out of the way. Um, You know, a lot of us know about the flight or fight syndrome. So when, you know, we have got a bear chasing us, we're either going to fight it or run and our body's ready for that. But uh, in our parasympathetic nervous system would be when we're like basking in the sun, lounging, relaxing, just enjoying our time. Um, A lot of people forget that we're a lot of us are in the middle where the bear's not chasing us, but we're not napping in the sun. We're just walking around doing our thing, trying to gather our stuff for the day and keep our keep our kids safe and around. And 
then they hear this like little twig snap and the bear is like a kilometer away. So chronic stress is how this impacts people. Um, so they might still have the instinct to kind of scarf their food or just grab something quickly and then go clean up. And uh, it really needs to be about how can we get people to the point where they can like sit down in the field for a little bit and actually enjoy that sunshine and, and enjoy what gives life that meaning. So uh, and for that woman, it, it might be at that time, maybe having the M&Ms and having a few of them, um, but maybe pairing them with some almonds and get some, you know, a bit more nutrition coming in. But I, at that point, I'd encourage people to work with a naturopathic doctor to make sure the nutrition's coming in adequately. If stress is that high, that somebody's feeling burnt out at the end of every day, mm-hmm. um, then that's really the time people need to check in with someone and have more support. And it might not mean they need a medication by all means. It, it might just mean that you need help exploring how to reach different health goals, keep that energy up a little bit more, fit in a bit more relaxation and new time, uh, and sometimes a bit more stress support because they know of my background. When someone comes to you, we've talked about how you know maybe they thought they're their condition or whatever did not uh, necessitate medical care. So they may not have gone to their medical doctor before you. What is the thing that pushed them to come to you? So they, what went, what went from, okay, I'm not going to see anyone. Then they go, you know what? I'm going to go see Sylvie. Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. Um, This is something I actually hear from people a lot. So that, that question is, uh, is really helpful. Um, people will often tell me that, well, they, they just didn't feel like it's something the medical system pays attention to, like they're, they're not feeling well, or they've got stress, um, or they're dealing with weight, has been kind of creeping up over the years, and they want to be working on it. And they're just not necessarily confident that other people they're seeing are going to help them address it. Um, so at that point, um, that tends to be who ends up coming in to see me or people who are working with um, anxiety or stress or mild to moderate depression where they might already be seeing an MD and on a medication or they might be working with a psychotherapist already, um, but they just feel that there's something more that they want to look at nutrition uh, in more of a holistic view and to learn how they can be feeding their bodies better and getting more nutrients from their foods. And that's something I see a lot in practice more so probably than than anything else is people knowing that there's something I'm doing, I could do better, but they don't know where to start or what to do. Um, And that's what I truly love working with. Um, I have a question I've been dying to ask you. (laughs) Um, So I realize it's not great when we say a food is good or bad. Um, You know, that kind of dichotomous thinking of, you know, this is a good food, this is a bad food, then you lay on guilt. Um, So I understand that reality and that concept. But as a naturopath, I also understand the concept of this food is bad for you (laughs) or this food in particular is bad for you in particular, because when you eat it, you have diarrhea for an hour or, you know, your bloat, your, your stomach bloats out and you look six months pregnant or you get really anxious. So I can hold both of those realities and concepts, um, and I would, yeah, yeah, I'm really with struggling with how do you, who really, you know, how do you merge those two realities? Yeah, and that's a really great thing for us to talk about as a profession too. And just, you know, so somebody who has celiac disease, um, um, let's, let's use a different example because I, I kind of get sick of <laughs> celiac as an example. <laughs> Um, let's talk about somebody who's this, this is a good example. I I had this patient impeccable diet. Like I could, I could 
and I and I don't need to see her very often. It's usually once every couple of years when things are shaken up. But good health, good diet, the kind of diet I could post on the wall for us all <laughs> to strive for. And she would actually get chronic diarrhea. So I had to look and was like, well, <laughs> it's the only time I've ever had to do this in my career where I had to actually cut down her her salads and her veg. Uh, she just loved salads. She made these beautiful salads. And for her, it's not that vegetables are bad. Um, the dose of it didn't agree with her body. So we had to actually, and it was, it was a huge thing. We had to work through like stages of grieving the salad. And it wasn't, we didn't take salad away, but we had to kind of change the portion size to her body's ability to tolerate it. And frankly, I think it was just fructose intolerance at that point, just too much coming in. Um, and that, completely changed things for her and it made it different. And uh, she was on board because all of a sudden she doesn't have diarrhea every day. Um, another thing I see commonly, um, another patient with eczema loves tomatoes, loves cherry tomatoes when they're in season, eczema will flare. So we have to talk about, you know, if you don't want to not have tomatoes, but we know you're going to flare, we need to talk about the dose of the tomatoes. So I don't, I don't use good or bad. I'll just talk about, look at what the dose of this is doing to your body and how your body's reacting in an unhealthy way um, versus saying the tomato's bad because the tomato still has some benefits to it. You get your lycopene, you're getting antioxidants from it. It's still, you know, technically a, a fruit, but we look at it as a vegetable in society. Um but, it, but it's not about that tomato's bad. It's just about, you know, if you eat too many. So it might be ways that we could fit the tomato in that if she tolerates three or five of them and she's okay, but maybe just once a week, um, then we're keeping the symptoms at bay. And some naturopaths like might have a different viewpoint saying, no, never tomatoes again. But I'm like, I just know for that patient, it's not realistic. Um, so I, I try never to take a food out 100%. Um, or, but it's like with patients who have dairy, for example, or patients, um, wine and cheese, wine and cheese, that combination, we know wrecks havoc in the body. Um, it actually contributes to a lot of digestive concerns that I see in practice. And I'm not about to tell somebody no wine and cheese for you, but it might be we need to look at the portion of the wine, the portion size of the cheese, and maybe add in some probiotics at that time when you're having it. Or if you know, it's like, uh, holidays are coming up and you know there's going to be wine and cheese at a party maybe have a few more probiotics to offset the, the balance of the dose you know you'll consume anyways um, but really I talk about dosage and how it's reacting in the body rather than trying to label the food because um, as soon as we have a label uh, if you told me chocolate's bad like oh damn I'm going for more chocolate it's bad you know like we want to change the the way we're looking at the food and and keep it to having a healthier relationship with it. Yeah, that's, um, it's a tricky one, eh? Um, I, I do, um, I don't know, I do with my patients, you know, I'll do a trial of, you know, hey, let's just do an experiment. And I'll like frame it as an experiment of, for the next four days, what if you don't eat this food? How does your body feel? And then they come back yeah. and they say, Oh, I didn't have any dairy for four days, I could do it but I can't tell you how great I feel. I'm not constantly coughing and that's worth it for me. So then it becomes a, yeah. um, you know, it becomes something that's worth it for their health because that feels better than, than actually wanting to eat the dairy. Yeah. 
And exactly. It's also an exercise of being mindful about what we're putting in our body and how our body's physically reacting, not just how we're emotionally reacting to it. Um, And that's really important as well. It's like if I'm working with patients who have irritable irritable bowel syndrome, we need to consider um, some of the what we call FODMAP based foods. So the fructose and certain types of carbohydrates in some of the foods. And it's not about them not being able to have any of them, but recognizing, you know, if they have avocados, if they have, you know, half an avocado, it's too much for their body, but a quarter of an avocado, they tolerate it well, they don't feel bad afterwards, their digestion is still fine. Um, Then they know that they might have just uh, a limit to what they can eat comfortably and still feel good about themselves and good in their body. So I, I just think we, we all, we need to always just bring it back to like, what are we feeling when we eat something and, and not treating our body as like just this receptacle to hold food. Like it really, we're not a trash can. Like it's our body is meant to only hold so much of certain things. And we need to use that, uh, what we call inner wisdom and, and explore that a little bit more. And sometimes naturopathic doctors can be really helpful in helping people recognize that. Like I've seen kids with eczema and it turns out to be Oh, sorry. (laughs) It turns out to be like the stone fruit family that's impacting them, for example, that, okay, we need to tone it down and maybe take them out shorter term and maybe test and see, can they have a nectarine every now and then without without flaring up all over their body? And sometimes for children, and and this is where it's harder because children, they don't necessarily understand like adults do, but they do when they start to notice that they're not suffering anymore and when they feel better and okay my tummy doesn't hurt or or i'm not itchy or scratchy or you know feeling like this inflamed rash all up my arms they're more willing to know that oh my body doesn't like that much of that and Um, i think they actually find it easier like my son's gluten-free and he could pass you know all the kids could be eating timbits and it doesn't bother him because he just has that cause and effect that is like, why would I like eat that? So he said, that gluten free yeah. mummy? I'm like, no, it's yeah. not. He's like, okay, what can I have? Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's like a concept here that you've, you've sort of alluded to here at Sylvie, which is there's a sweet spot for a lot of things. And, it, you know, and, and then what Kara was saying was, you know, this binary good or bad is, you know, there's, there's an aspect to it, but, Really, there's a sweet spot for everything. Like, for example, uh, you, you were you were saying it's just more acute almost in those uh, IBS patients who with FODMAPs, they, they actually might benefit from an eighth of an avocado or a mm-hmm. or a quarter because it's going to uh, nourish the the bacteria that are still uh, providing health benefit. But if you put too much, if you now you're into a half, you're actually causing some problem. This happens with protein too. So. Um, you know, if you don't have enough protein, well, we don't get enough growth and repair. If you have too much protein, you're actually contributing to like ammonia toxicity if people don't have the capacity in their liver and kidney to deal with the, you know, the, all the, uh, the you know, end products of, of protein digestion. And then we get protein fermentation and uh, maldigestion, which leads to like polyps and colon cancer. So there, it's not, it's, it's like we've, we've sort of glossed over a really cool concept, which is that there is a sweet spot. Spot mm-hmm. for a lot of these foods salad you talked about salad there's yeah. a sweet spot but even even with sugar literally get to the sweets right like our our brain needs glucose to function 
but it doesn't mean we need it in the pure form of glucose. We need some complex carbohydrates. Our body will do what it needs to do to keep that brain fueled. But if we had too much sugar, it can actually cause nerve damage, right? So we need Mm -hmm. to be really careful with that. I talk about dose with my patients all the time. I talk about, let's talk about dose of coffee. I don't just want to know, do you have one, two, or three cups of coffee. I want to know the dose. If you don't know the size of your cup or your grande frappe, whatever uh, that you're drinking every day, we need to look at it and get to know it and use that knowledge. And and like I said, it's not about just calories. I really don't like calories in, calories out. I don't like women or people tracking calories. I don't want them having to nitpick and get obsessive with food. I want them to enjoy the food, have a good relationship, feel good about what they're eating. Um, and a big part of that is looking at an appropriate dose uh, for their body and what what makes them feel good yeah and the nerdy embryologists and toxicologists will understand that the dose makes the poison yeah that's like the only thing i remember from embryology i think was the dose makes the poison (laughs) and it also (laughs) it also is it also depends on where the poison is going right so as naturopaths we might say it's not the food's fault you know, let's, Mm -hmm. let's work on the gut. Let's get the gut better so that it can, you know, handle that food. Um, And that's more approach to it. Yep, exactly. Love it. Okay. We got to wind down soon, but there's a couple, there's a couple good questions I want to ask you, Sylvie, which we Mm -hmm. we usually ask to people. And one of them is, I want to know when there's, when you kind of get a patient that you're like, oh shit, like this is going to be a tough one. Like what's one of your tougher Mm -hmm. ones and, and really test your, test your mettle as a naturopathic doctor, who's uh, real savvy in this mindfulness of eating. Yeah, definitely patients who come in wanting a quick fix that think they just need uh, a diet for a couple of weeks. Uh, they just want a protein shake or nutritional supplements or herbs. And this is magically going to lead to weight loss. I know you guys probably felt the impact of this back when Dr. Oz was like touting raspberry ketones and the oh world just wants to come in and I want raspberry ketones. I need to lose weight. I want to do this. And, and just getting people out of that diet mindset diet mindset is actually really toxic of when we think we need a diet i try not even not to even use the word diet with my patients we'll talk about nutrition or nourishment and and get their mindset out of the the calorie zone and if we do use like apps like my fitness pal for example i i don't use them to track calories so much unless patients really want a guide i use it to track macros like let's set some carbohydrate goals for you or some protein goals for you so they can use this Um, So that's kind of something that I try and take that quick fix diet all or nothing approach right out. Um, And that tends to be the most challenging mindset to deal with when uh, people are coming in to see me. And the rewards can be huge, though, and you can really help them cultivate that longer lasting, sustainable uh, improvement in their relationship with food. Then it's just all so much better when you can reach and get through to somebody. Um, Also, people who want to follow a a really restrictive diet, um, sometimes they come in and it's like keto is the the biggest thing going. People want to come in and do keto diet. I'm all like, if you clinically have a health concern where you need a ketogenic diet, I'm behind you on that. But if you're doing keto for fad and you just want to do it for a month to lose 20 pounds, you're going to gain that weight back. It's going to come back so fast and it's going to stay on a little bit longer, most Mm -hmm. likely. So uh, keto is not a long-term sustainable lifestyle for people. On average, some, you know, a very small percent of the population can do really well on it, but it's not, I'm really not a fan of it um, because it's turned into such a fad that everyone's going keto, but 
they're not really doing it well, right? So mm-hmm. that that's something else that's an issue. And then also people who come in in December and they want to use up all their benefits and come and see me and they want to lose weight before the holidays. And at the time that's the most stressful in their lives, work ramps up, stress ramps up, families coming over they haven't seen for a while. They know they're going to be agitated or aggravated around them sometimes. Uh, um, usually the last thing I want to do is to be restrictive uh, around the holidays. I try and do kind of help with a little bit of damage control, focus on dosing, uh, get maximum enjoyment from the foods without overeating and putting on weight over the holidays. But sometimes I have to work with people on whether or not the goals are realistic. And for the odd couple, it is like it is realistic to try and lose weight before the holidays, but only if they're really ready and it's not going to create more stress in their life. So we, we talk about that. All right. We would love to hear what would one take a bit, one takeaway be uh, for our listeners. Um, a really big thing I think people could do to start right away is literally the next thing that you put in your mouth, take the time, take a breath before you eat it, recognize where it came from, how many farmers were involved in growing this food. Is it even a food that's Canadian? Was it flown in from somewhere? Uh, smell it, take the time to really taste it, like really taste it like you're a food critic and you're you're about to really savor this food and determine and figure out the complexity of the flavor. Um, it's almost like if, you know, you buy a really expensive bottle of wine, you're going to sip that wine a little bit differently than the $4 bottle or $6 bottle, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So it's just really important to be thinking about food. And it doesn't mean every single meal of your day, you're going to stop and savor every single bite. But I really just think is stopping to recognize like this is something that the earth grew for us that people worked behind to get it to us. Sometimes hundreds of people getting even a kiwi to our attention, right? Uh, for flying it over from New Zealand, things like that. Um, notice how hungry hungry uh, you are before you start to eat. And after a few minutes of eating, take a moment to pause and notice how hungry you are at that point. Are you still hungry? Are you feeling like you don't need more food? Uh, and let that help you decide how much you want to eat. Um, another... Another resource um, that could be helpful, and this is a book um, that I really love this book. It's called Well Nourished by uh, Andrea Lieberstein. Um, she's a registered dietitian. Um, she was also one of the trainers when I took the MBE program with Dr. Jean Christeller in the U.S. Um, the book is structured like a workbook um, slash kind of like a journal to help people heal their relationship with food, feed their whole selves and help to end overeating. And the best part, it's only $20 on Amazon. It has a wealth of information and a lot of mindful exercises to help people to nourish themselves emotionally. So that can be a really good starting we'll to, point. We'll try to link that uh, to our show notes. Yeah. And also there's the book Mindful Eating by Jan Chosen Bays. Um, that's another really nice one to just kind of dig in a little bit more to exploring hunger. Yeah, I think if we just like summarize what you said, I thought your analogy with with the bottle of wine was was beautiful. It works perfectly. Just savor it. Just savor it. I, I will eat a Snickers bar like I will eat a Snickers bar like I eat uh, a Godiva chocolate. I don't eat Godiva chocolate anymore. I just don't love the flavor anymore. But if the odd time I have a Snickers bar, maybe once or twice a year, I will cut it up and I will savor that. And I find um, because I've learned to eat more mindfully, I'm almost like super saturating. It's too sweet for me now um, to the point where I have a couple smaller pieces. I don't want the rest of the bar. I'll usually park it and have to have it a, a different day. So when we're really stopping to take 
the time and really savoring that food and just exploring everything about it when it comes to taste and mouthfeel and scent and flavor and what it looks like, how we're feeling, what the environment's like, it can really slow us down and help us recognize that we might not actually enjoy it after a couple of bites. So you are hosting a workshop in April. Oh yeah, I'm uh, April 27th. I'm work, um, hosting a full day mindful eating and nutrition uh, workshop in Toronto at the Healing Collective. Um, if anybody's interested, there's more information on my website at uh, drsylviemartin.com. Fantastic. Um, and I, I hope this episode will, will, will catch people in time, um, but I'm sure that we will, uh, there'll be more offered in this space from you. Um, how do we, how do our listeners get in touch with you? Um, they can reach me online at drsylviemartin.com. So uh, my first name is spelled S-Y-L-V-I. Um, and Facebook, uh, they can look at uh, Dr. Sylvie Martin as well. Awesome. Sylvie, thank you so much for dropping your science with us. It's so it's so nice to have you on the show and uh, and share your uh, your insights and your wisdom. Um, and I learned a couple things, uh, not just about you, but I, I, I learned a couple things about maybe the way I'll uh, encounter my patients. And, um, and I'm sure people who are listening got some really good, um, really good insight into taking a little bit more time and savoring uh, food like a nice bottle of wine. And and I think that that's so, so important. So thank you so much for um, making this uh, making this show great. Well, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sylvie. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there.